now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for justice professionals and anyone interested in learning more about forensic science, innovative technology, current research, and actionable strategies to improve the criminal justice system. In Episode 3 of our Human Trafficking Research Season, Just Science sat down with Dr. Rebecca Pfeffer and Dr. Kelly Varick, both research criminologists at RTI International, to discuss the importance of labor trafficking research as a specialized field within the broader scope of human trafficking. Labor trafficking cases can be difficult to identify and are thereby often overlooked and underfunded. Due to key differences between labor trafficking and other forms of human trafficking, it is important to independently investigate best practices for prosecution, resource allocation, and response to labor trafficking. Listen along as Dr. Pfeffer and Dr. Barrick define labor trafficking, discuss myths and misconceptions, and identify differences between labor trafficking and sex trafficking. This episode is funded by RT International's Justice Practice Area. Some content in this podcast may be considered sensitive and may evoke emotional responses or may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Here's your host, Jacqueline Kolnick. Hello and welcome to Just Science. I'm your host, Jacqueline Kolnick. On today's episode, we'll discuss human trafficking and more specifically, labor trafficking in the United States. Here to discuss this are doctors Rebecca Pfeffer and Kelly Barrick. Welcome, Rebecca and Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here with you today. So excited we could have this dynamic duo today to talk about labor trafficking. I feel like it would be really helpful for our listeners if we start by defining labor trafficking itself. So what is labor trafficking? Sure. So essentially, human trafficking occurs when a person is compelled to perform work or provide services under conditions that involve force, fraud, or coercion. There are a lot of different ways this can happen or look in the U.S. and elsewhere, and sometimes people do distinguish between sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Sex trafficking involves commercial sexual activity under the conditions of force, fraud, or coercion, and labor trafficking encompasses this type of exploitation that happens in any other industry, such as construction, hospitality, or agriculture, and can also happen even outside of legal sectors, including forced begging or forced criminality. That's really helpful, Kelly. Thanks for sharing that. It seems like we hear about sex trafficking more often than labor trafficking. Why is this the case? And can you tell us why it's important to understand labor trafficking as well? Yeah, that's a great question, Jacqueline. And that's something that we think about a lot. And I can think of a, a couple of reasons. One is it's just kind of easier to understand what sex trafficking is, because even when sex trafficking happens in different places or in different industries, for example, you know, there's internet facilitated prostitution with a third party facilitator, like a trafficker or a pimp, or it can happen in strip clubs or other places. There's usually some uh, similar patterns in these cases. They all involve that third-party facilitator. Often that person has a certain type of relationship with the person or persons that they're exploiting. So it becomes kind of easy to know what to look for. Um, But with labor trafficking, what it looks like can be much more varied than that. So labor trafficking can happen in any industry. There have been cases identified in settings as varied as factories, farms, construction sites, restaurants, shipbuilding yards, dentists' offices, churches, schools, and then in people's homes. So as you can imagine, the type of work that a labor trafficking is compelled to do in those settings can look incredibly different 
And then the methods that traffickers use to compel them to work across those settings can also be really different. So it becomes harder to know what to look for when it comes to labor trafficking cases. However, just because it's harder to see or identify labor trafficking cases doesn't mean that responding to these cases and helping connect survivors to the services that they need is any less important than it is for sex trafficking. Like sex trafficking survivors, survivors of labor trafficking do experience force, fraud, and coercion that's often deeply traumatizing. Unfortunately, the traumatic experiences of labor trafficking victims are often overlooked. Broadly speaking, People have a moral reaction to the idea of sex trafficking because it involves commercial sex, but then they do not react the same way to the idea of people being forced, tricked, or coerced into performing non-sexual types of labor. There's also often a perception that sex trafficking victims need to be rescued, either by law enforcement or Good Samaritans. And this is an image that just doesn't always translate to the public's perception of labor trafficking victims. It's really unfortunate because it can lead to a very narrow model of human trafficking enforcement, one that especially elevates the issue of domestic minor sex trafficking and a significant harm inherent in that view that sex trafficking should be prioritized over labor trafficking is then the potential for the misallocation of resources and funding, as well as confusion about how to apply anti-trafficking laws. So interesting. It seems like there may be some broad misconceptions about labor trafficking. Can you help us understand any myths or misconceptions about it? And why are those incorrect? There are a lot of myths and and misunderstandings about labor trafficking, so I'm so glad you asked. One of them, I think, is that people sometimes mistake labor trafficking for exploitive workplace abuse, so things like wage theft. But really, you can think about labor exploitation and labor trafficking as a continuum with things like an employer using deception and lies at one end, and then things like a worker actually having their their freedom of movement restricted at the other end. So cases of labor trafficking do often have elements of labor exploitation, like wage theft or their employer telling them a series of lies. Um, But for a case to actually be considered trafficking and to meet the criminal definition of trafficking... There have to be elements of force, fraud, and coercion that compel a person to work. And compelling labor means that because of the force, fraud, or coercion, the victim doesn't feel like they can leave voluntarily if they want to. So what can that look like? It could mean that a worker is is working because the foreman has threatened them or their family's safety, or that a worker came to the United States with a certain guest worker visa that only allows them to work for one employer but that employer doesn't pay them and threatens them with deportation if they want to leave or if they complain. So what can be tricky is that what will coerce one person to work for little or no pay is based on their individual needs or vulnerabilities. So it can be hard for law enforcement or community-based advocates to identify them or to help them. That's one myth, but I think Kelly can tell you another. Yeah, there's plenty more. Another is that labor trafficking only involves foreign-born individuals. And this is a prevalent misconception that is just wrong. In fact, our colleagues from NYU, the University of Massachusetts at Lowell and Northeastern recently completed an exploratory study on labor trafficking of U.S. citizens, and they found indicators of trafficking and other exploitation among a diverse set of high-risk citizens, particularly in the industries of construction, food services, and janitorial work. I think a related misconception is that labor trafficking involves movement across borders. Despite the word trafficking, 
there's no movement required to meet the legal elements of the crime of human trafficking or labor trafficking. I think this myth persists because people often conflate human trafficking with human smuggling, which are very different things. Smuggling is actually a crime against a border, and it requires the movement of individuals across borders, and it involves the willing involvement of the person being moved. On the other hand, trafficking involves the criminal victimization of an individual using the coercive methods that Rebecca had described. So although trafficking can involve the physical movement of a person over a state or even national boundaries, a person can also be recruited and trafficked in their hometown. I think some of this can be so complex because if I'm understanding correctly, then could it be that there's also smuggling and trafficking that goes together, that something could start with someone willingly crossing a border potentially, and then the script is flipped in some way and it transitions to labor trafficking. Does that happen? Or can you maybe talk a little bit about the relationship between the two? That's completely possible. So someone could choose to be smuggled and pay an individual to help them cross a border without legal documentation. And that starts off as smuggling, which isn't a crime against the person who's who's wanting to be moved. However, if the conditions change or if their relationship with the person that's supposed to be smuggling them change, it could turn into a situation where now they are being coerced or forced into doing labor that had not been part of their original agreement. And then that could be a situation where something starts as willing human smuggling and turns into a case of labor trafficking. I hear it so often in even my own work in trafficking, the confusion about movement of persons or even just how the nuances can shift and change, right, based off of of what happens. And so thanks for that clarification. Rebecca, I'm curious to hear from you. Are there any other myths that you wanted to highlight today for our listeners? I think one more that comes to mind is that, you know, people talk about sex trafficking and labor trafficking as if they're totally distinct. But a lot of times there's actually a lot of overlap between these two forms of victimization. So It can be common for cases of sex trafficking to involve some type of forced labor and for cases of labor trafficking to involve sexual abuse or other types of related offenses. And similarly, or along the same lines, another myth is that labor trafficking only happens in legally recognized industries. But we're learning more and more that, yes, labor trafficking absolutely does happen across a wide range of licit industries but it also takes on the form of other things like forced criminality or forced begging. So it happens in a range of illicit industries as well, which makes enforcement even that more difficult. Absolutely. And given everything we just talked about, those myths, and it sounds like it could really make identifying labor trafficking cases in a community really challenging. So What is the anti-trafficking community doing to better identify labor trafficking cases and to help victims who experience this type of victimization? That's a great question. And we're actually working on an NIJ-funded study that's trying to address that issue right now. So far, research has primarily focused on these challenges to identifying labor trafficking. So for this study, we're really taking a different approach. And we're wanting to examine the elements of labor trafficking cases that have been successfully identified. So we're taking into consideration the ways that successful sex and labor trafficking investigations within the same jurisdictions differ in terms of case characteristics, investigative strategies, and the professional backgrounds of the individuals who are involved in those investigations. 
So to do this, we're visiting five counties that have prioritized identifying and responding to labor trafficking. And in each community, we're reviewing some human trafficking case records from law enforcement or service providers, and we're systematically coding characteristics of those cases. We're also then conducting interviews with key stakeholders to better understand their investigatory processes, who they collaborate with on sex and labor trafficking cases, and the community will to prioritize labor trafficking. Collectively, we hope these data collection efforts will help us better understand the elements of successful labor trafficking investigations and the ways in which these cases should be treated as distinct from sex trafficking cases. And what's really exciting about this study is the strategies that these five communities are using to identify labor trafficking are all different. So two sites have specialized labor trafficking investigators. Two have special investigatory units embedded in their county district attorney's offices. And then one site has incorporated labor trafficking identification and response into an existing statewide multidisciplinary team that was working on responding to the trafficking of minors. So we're really using this study to learn about what works in different communities and then what the impacts of these unique approaches are. What important work um, you mentioned that, you know, you really want to learn about what works in these different communities and those impacts. So let's talk a little bit more about that. What are some of the main things that you're learning from this work so far? The most obvious thing that we're learning is that there's labor trafficking everywhere. You just have to look for it. So the majority of jurisdictions throughout the country haven't done anything special to prioritize labor trafficking, identification, or response. Therefore, they aren't finding cases or cases aren't coming to their attention. But all of the sites in this study have in common that they implemented a new strategy or process to look for elements of labor trafficking. And because they did that, they're starting to find these cases. So these strategies require funding and a willingness to try something different. They require a commitment and a little bit of political and community buy-in. And we're also learning that from a victim service and a criminal justice perspective, you might need to approach labor trafficking identification and response differently than you would for sex trafficking. So it doesn't make sense necessarily to copy and paste an established formulaic response to sex trafficking cases and think that it's going to work for labor trafficking cases. So in the United States, many human trafficking units within law enforcement agencies are embedded in the vice unit. And that makes a lot of sense for responding to sex trafficking and identifying sex trafficking cases. But we have no reason to, to expect that the strategies that investigators in vice units use would be useful or would apply very naturally to investigating cases of labor trafficking because they happen in totally different industries. The other thing is that the types of evidence needed to build a prosecutable case between sex and labor trafficking may be different, and they may need to be, the types of evidence may need to be identified in different ways. And lastly, the survivors' needs and the survivors' ideas of, of justice and how they'd like to see a case resolved may also be different between sex and labor trafficking cases. And this is a really important piece. We often measure success in human trafficking cases by the number of arrests or prosecutions, but we're learning that there are other important metrics that may be more important to use to measure success in labor trafficking cases. Yeah, and just building on what Rebecca said, we've also learned that you really can't and shouldn't measure the level of labor trafficking in a community by looking at the number of law enforcement investigations, arrests, or prosecutions. I mean, the majority of the cases that we've reviewed in these counties either don't come to the attention of law enforcement at all or are investigated or prosecuted under different types of criminal charges. 
So relatedly, we've learned that many survivors of labor trafficking are actually not that interested in seeing their trafficker charged or prosecuted. Rather, they would like to be able to continue working under legal conditions and under fair conditions. They want to be paid adequately for their work and receive back pay for the experiences they endured under a, a trafficker. So this suggests that we actually need to start rethinking what even success means in a labor trafficking investigation. And then one other thing we're learning is that labor trafficking happens really differently in every industry. So we talk about sex trafficking and labor trafficking as their distinct but related phenomena, but labor trafficking can actually look really different from one industry to another. So one of the investigators that we interviewed for this project was describing a case that she was putting together that involved someone who was exploited in the construction industry. And she was saying that she needed to learn so much about how the construction industry works and how how legal employment in the construction industry is, works and ha- what it's supposed to look like. And then when she turned her attention to a labor trafficking case in a restaurant, she needed to start learning about what legal employment and a typical sort of employment structure in a restaurant looks like. So you really have to understand the industries and how they're supposed to work as distinct from one another to be able to find the areas where exploitation happens and to be able to build cases and to present the evidence of human trafficking victimization for survivors in these cases. I really appreciate how, you know, if you talked about what you've learned, it emphasizes both the importance of this work and importance of understanding the needs of survivors and their definitions of what success means. And also then the complexities, right, in navigating not only those conversations, but also what that looks like for investigations and what it looks like for other entities that are seeking to pursue justice and healing um, and being part of facilitating that for those that have been impacted. Um, As we think about your next steps, what are those? It seems like it's important to understand how labor trafficking varies across these different sectors. Has there been much work around this? Not really. We don't really know much yet other than what Rebecca described that we're learning that you really need to understand industries in detail. So our our team has started working on this. In a new NIJ-funded study, we're working to develop a deeper understanding of the supply chain structures, recruitment tactics, control tactics, and then the needs of labor trafficking survivors in two really different industries, construction and hospitality. And we're doing this in four very different communities, some of which involve seasonal hospitality work. So for this study, we'll be reviewing the labor trafficking supply chains in cases that have been federally prosecuted in construction and hospitality. We'll also be interviewing key stakeholders surveying individuals who've experienced labor exploitation or trafficking in these two industries, and then conducting a small number of in-depth follow-up interviews with a subsample of people who take the survey. We'll be conducting those interviews with individuals who reported experiencing some severe forms of abuse on the survey. And we're hopeful that the results from these different data collection efforts will contribute to helping us identify opportunities that could be used to prevent or disrupt trafficking in these two very different industries. I think more broadly, we think uh, findings could also inform the development of policies and practices to better respond to trafficking in industries rather than trying to tackle labor trafficking as if it were you know, one singular phenomenon. 
It sounds like to me that we're just going to have to have you all back when you've wrapped up this study so we can do a round two to learn more about uh, this important topic and, and the work that you just outlined that's so important. In the meantime, though, where can folks learn more about the work you're doing currently on labor trafficking? To learn more about these labor trafficking projects and the other human trafficking research that RTI is leading, you can visit the RTI Human Trafficking Focus Area website, which is linked to on the landing page for this episode. As we close out our time together, is there anything else you'd like to leave listeners with today? I think our our main message is that You know, we know that research indicates that labor trafficking is as pervasive, if not even more pervasive than sex trafficking in our communities, yet it's under-identified and under-emphasized by community members, despite the physical, psychological, and financial toll it takes on survivors. And an adequate response to address labor trafficking in our communities is going to require a systems-level response, and we all have a role to play in that. And we owe it to labor trafficking survivors to learn more and to learn what we can do to uh, address labor trafficking in our communities. We just hope that people will continue to learn more with us and to get involved in the ways that they can in addressing labor trafficking in their communities. Well, Rebecca and Kelly, it's been a pleasure meeting with you and discussing your important work on trafficking. Thank you for the time to chat with me about labor trafficking, and I hope we get to do this again sometime. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and follow Just Science on your platform of choice. For more information on today's topic and resources about human trafficking, you can visit RTI's website that's linked on the landing page of this episode. I'm Jacqueline Kolnick, and this has been another episode of Just Science. Next week, Just Science sits down with Christina Melander to discuss the importance of engaging survivors in human trafficking research. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.